I want to read from um, the um, first uh, letter of Paul to a young preacher and a son in the gospel named Timothy, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. We'll start at verse 13 and read through 16. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to preaching, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Think about them. Give thyself wholly, completely to them. That thy profiting, your progress, your growth may appear to all. Take heed, pay attention to, watch yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. I want to preach a little bit today about some things to keep an eye on. Things to keep an eye on. Lord, thank you for your word, its power, its truth, its universal and eternal application. Quicken us by it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Please be seated. Almost from the beginning of the Civil War, <clears throat> President Lincoln understood, he knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that abolishing slavery must be accomplished, both to win the war and to make its winning worthwhile. He began almost immediately to try to persuade a resistant Congress to the truth of this fact. In fact, in the very first message to Congress, which today we call the State of the Union Address, President Lincoln challenged the Congress to see things as they really were. He began with these words, fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance nor insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation. We, even we here, hold the power and bear the responsibility. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. Now, I don't think I need to belabor the point to re remind you that you and I, this time, this generation, are going through a fiery trial. That we are challenged by our times as few times have ever been. This generation will be remembered in spite of ourselves because of the trial we have been commissioned by God to go through. Paul saw our day. He would write, 
later, after the letter that contains my text, he would write to Timothy and he would say, Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. And yet they will have a form of religion, of godliness, but deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. You need not have the gift, the spiritual gift of discernment to understand that we're living in those times. When you add in the disillusion of Western culture to the challenges of a pandemic and a world gone crazy, you come to understand that we were brought to the kingdom on purpose for just a time like this. You're not an accident. You are here by the design of God. Consider the coordinated attack on, on, on traditional uh, values. The unrelented, uh, unrelenting assaults on personal freedoms in the name of communal rights. The sowing to the wind. That's been done for 40 years on American college campuses that has at last produced uh, the whirlwind of an anti-capitalist, anti-American, anti-Christian young people who are rising to leadership. And the new but swiftly effective offense, offense against Christianity itself, unprecedented in American history, all of which uh, produce and present new challenges to the American church to the children of God. God has placed us in these times not to wilt like grass at the noonday, but to stand firm and strong for His cause and to make a difference in our day. Now Paul, Paul didn't just define the perilous times, the fiery trial. But he gave, through Timothy, us advice on how to deal with those times. And by giving us advice, he is warning us of the weak points, of the weak places that may be in our generation for the times in which we find ourselves. Now, there's several things mentioned in my text, and I won't take the time to deal with all of them. But I want to point out just a couple of things that Paul said you need to pay attention to. Take heed to is the King James language. You might say it like this. A couple of things while you're going through that fiery trial to keep your eye on. To make sure they're okay. To make sure that they are kept strong. Pay attention to keep your eye on. And the first thing he says is ourselves. Keep your eye on yourself. Pay attention to what's going on with you. Now, we just heard some good advice about taking care of ourselves. Don't, you know, don't spit in people's face. 
Don't be the spittee or the spitter. Try to avoid that. Wear a mask. Thank you for doing that. I'm of an age where I'm particularly concerned about your wearing a mask. And me too. And social distancing. That's two words don't go together. How can you socialize from a distance? But anyway, we try to do it because it is important that we look out for ourselves to take care of our... Can I tell you it's time for you to start paying attention and looking out for yourself? To take care of yourself. Mom's not here. Sorry. Mom's not here to put her hand on your cheek and say, are you running a fever? Do you feel pretty good? Are you okay? Are you eating right? How, how late did you stay up last night? Did you make your 8 o'clock class this morning? No, mom's not here. You've got to look after yourself. You're at a point, if you don't pay attention to what's going on in your life, nobody else will. It's time to be an adult. It's time to keep an eye on yourself because you can't help anybody else when you haven't taken care of yourself. No, I'm glad for the physical things. You need to eat good. There's good food here. If you don't, if you don't eat, it's your fault. That's the way it goes. Come on, you can eat, not eat. That's up to you. I get it. You can stay up all night with the turkeys, but you won't be able to rise with the eagles if you don't get your rest. That's part of it. you got to decide. Take care of yourself. That's what Paul says. It's important in a fiery trial that you take care of yourself. But my friends, it's not the physical side that matters the most. What I'm preaching to you this moment is if we're going to make it through this trial, and we will, if we're going to make a difference during this trial, and that's where the question is, we're going to have to keep taking not just our physical temperature, but you're going to have to keep an eye on your spiritual temperature. Are you praying like you used to pray? Are you worshiping with the same passion that you used to worship with? Are you into the Word like you once were? you got to take heed unto yourself this fiery trial is a bigger trial than than we may imagine there is a there is a subliminal effect there is there is a communal pressure that comes against us we have to decide are we going to absorb the spirit of our times anger and resentment a sense of victimhood a demand of a certain response from others. Are we going to get caught up in ideas that in themselves have virtue, but yet they're expressed in a very unhealthy way? I tell you, it isn't time to start living like the world, acting like the world, thinking like the world. It's time to be a child of God. It's time to be a Christian in an unchristian age. And you can't do it with your eyes on everybody else. You can't do it taking everybody else's spiritual temperature. Well, he's not shouting like he used to. He's not singing and worshiping like he used to. She's not into church like she used to be. I don't think she even went Wednesday night. Something's wrong. Get your eyes off everybody else. Uh, Paul said, first, uh, get your eye on yourself. 
We're going to be remembered. We have a place in the bigger scheme. We're not here by an accident of fate. We are here to affect our world, to reach into the fire and pull somebody out. And you can't do it when you're struggling yourself. You can't make a difference spiritually in your roommate's life when you're cold yourself. You can't make a difference back home when you go home for break uh, between semesters or at the end at the summer break. You, you can't go home if you're just the same old, same old. If you actually go home less connected with God than when you left home. Paul says, keep an eye, Timothy, on yourself. Check your spiritual temperature. Make sure that you are connected with what God is doing in this age. I wish I had the vocabulary to break through. Business as usual isn't going to cut it in this age. Just getting by spiritually. I just want to go to heaven. That isn't going to cut it in our age. We need burning brands of fire. We need evangelists that can bring sinners to the altar. We need pastors that can bring revival to their church. We need men and women of God that can stand in the evil time. We need you to be on fire for God. Not skimming the edge. You know, we need to break free from the tyranny of the unimportant. We need to quit majoring on the minors. We need to get our priorities. The world is lost and going to hell further and further from God. It's time to get off the pew. It's time to get in the harvest. It's time to make a difference. It's time to reach out. It's time to have purpose. Pay attention. Keep an eye on yourself. Watch yourself. Don't trust yourself. It's time to settle the issue of your faithfulness to God's house. To paying your tithing, giving generously to the mission's effort of the church. The storm that is upon us will light us. Our actions shouted from the housetops. Pay attention, Paul says. Keep an eye on yourself. And then amazingly to me, the second one. That's, that I think sometimes we miss the import. He says, keep an eye on yourself spiritually and keep an eye on your doctrine. Doctrine. Isn't it, isn't it strange that we can, in this time of all times, forget that what the world needs, what the world needs, desperately needs is not less truth but all the truth. It's easy in a time like ours when so many are falling by the wayside and so many old mainline churches no longer, they're barely Christian if you could even call them that. When so many Pentecostal groups no longer have a move of the Spirit, that no longer have a majority of their people full of the Holy Ghost. In an era like our era, it isn't time to let down, to draw back, to do less, to preach uh, easier. It is time to take the gospel, the only 
only saving gospel to a lost world. I want to tell you something. They don't want less than truth. They've heard all the other stuff. They've been exposed to the watered down and the milk toast gospel. It's time for one God. Jesus name. Apostolic. Tongue talking. Holy Ghost preachers and singers and missionaries and teachers to make a difference in our world. We must be committed as never before. Settle it. Settle it. Settle it. I am a one God preacher. I'm not ashamed of that. I don't have to explain that. I am a Jesus name preacher. I believe there is no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I don't apologize for that. I'm a holiness preacher. I'm a Holy Ghost preacher. I believe you got to talk in tongues to go to heaven. I'm sorry. I believe that. You got to be, you got to repent. You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, not the titles. And you have to be filled with the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking in other tongues or you're not saved. The world deserves the truth, not less than the truth. So Paul says, first watch yourself. Be sure you're where you need to be because you've got to have a connection with the Spirit. Before you can make a difference in anyone else's life. But then be sure that you're carrying truth with you. What difference does it make if you're the most eloquent preacher that has ever stood in a pulpit? That when you sing, people just weep tears of joy or whatever. What difference does it make if you can teach and you can make people understand the most esoteric subject. But let me tell you, it makes no difference if in the end they are lost and they go to hell. It makes no difference how perfect our music programs, how eloquent our preachers, how well structured our services, how beautiful our buildings. If people come in and go home lost, just like when they walk in, it has to be a soul-saving place. And to save, it takes all the gospel. Paul said, I was not ashamed. To declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Make up your mind that you are going to be a vessel of the full gospel. The truth that saves. The truth that empowers. That you're not going to let it fall aside. And let me tell you, I don't mean what you say, going charismatic. and All, all that's bad. That's terrible. If you're going to do that, go do it now. We don't want to mess with you no more. Just go and do it now if you're going to do that. That's silliness. That's not even in vogue anymore. No, that's dumb. No, I'm not even talking about I am talking about forgetting when we're dealing with people in the world, when we're dealing with friends and neighbors, when we're dealing with folks that we meet every day, they need someone to introduce them to truth. 
Yes, do it with love. Yes, do it with wisdom. But sooner or later, you got to do it. You got to help them. You got to deal. People are hurting right now. People are fearful right now. People don't know what's going to happen next week. Their finances are in disarray. Their family is in trouble. Their own hearts are filled with fear. What a time to turn the lights on and say there is a God and He is real and you can't feel his presence and you can know him in the power of his spirit they're waiting somebody said this is a terrible time for the church I beg to differ well, I know there's challenges Sunday I was in Shreveport Louisiana preaching at a church that had been going full bore having full service and everything and 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 they were being wise, but they were having church. It was going good. And they had a funeral about a week and a half ago. And a lot of people from out of town were at the funeral. And, and the very next day, and in fact, a couple of days, uh, some of the elders that were at that funeral started calling in. I've, I've, I've tested positive. I'm, I'm sick. I, I, I. And then, uh, like the next night, they had a big youth service. And they had young people from all over the section, and they filled their church building. And, and within a matter of two or three days, several young people came down with COVID, and, and it began to spread. Their music de uh, department was decimated. So I get there. In fact, the day before, I'm driving down the highway, headed there, and the pastor calls me and says, Brother Jones, you're going to be preaching to about a dozen people tomorrow. I thought, well, the word must have got out I was coming. I don't know what happened. He said, because we've had to close down again. So I'm preaching to my family and, and, and the, 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 the musicians and singers and, and the technical people and the pastor, and that's it. And that's okay. I've done that before. We, we may have to do it again. I don't know. But we're not. that's, that's not going to stop the church because we're going to get back together and we're going to become what we once were. But in the meantime, we're still the church. And the power of God is still within our hands and hearts. And whether it's over the internet or whether it's live in person, the power of God can still reach into human hearts and make a difference. This is not the end of the church. This is not a terrible time for the church. But when the light is darkest and you light the tiniest candle, it shines through that dark night. It's time to light the lamps. It's time to turn on the light. If you can't bring them to church, pray them through in the car at home. Reach for them. Lincoln said, there's no significance or insignificance that will spare us. We're making history. For good or ill. We're creating victory or defeat. For ourselves and for those who hear us. But he told Timothy, if you pay attention to yourself. If you watch yourself. Stay close and stay on fire and be in the prayer room. Touch God every day and get in his word. If you pay attention to yourself and you make sure the gospel, the doctrine is going out over your pulpit. You will not only save yourself. Ultimately, I'm not preaching selfishness. Just take care of me and don't worry about the rest. 
He says, you won't just save you. You'll save all them that hear you. When I was in junior high, uh, we weren't in the church. Hadn't come to the Lord yet, but I, um, I, I, I love sports. I was involved in sports. Um, I played basketball, but everybody was taller than me. I played football, but everybody was bigger than me. Uh, I could play baseball with the best of them, yeah. But my favorite sport was track. Um, I could do the high jump pretty good. But my forte was running. When you're an 80-pound wonder in junior high, you can generally outrun anybody. And so I ran. I ran the sprints. And then I was a part of the mile relay team. Mile relay is very simple. It's a quarter-mile track. The first runner takes the baton, and the gun sounds, and he begins the race. And they go one circuit of the quarter-mile track, and when they come around to the starting point, the second man is waiting within a certain marked box. He must take the baton and continue the race one time around. Then he passes it off to a third runner. He takes the baton and one time around. And then finally, it's passed off to the fourth runner, and he must bring the baton to the finish line. We were pretty good. We really were. We were invited to the California Junior Olympics to run the mile relay. I was pretty proud of that. In fact, you might can tell I still am. But I learned something about that. Uh, when you're involved in a, in, the, in a team sport like that, you learn some stuff. And I, we had a very good coach, and he taught us some things. And, and, and I learned that every runner matters. That, that everyone who carries the baton has a role to play. And it may be different from the other three runners' roles, but it is crucial to the outcome of the race. The, for example, the starter, he, he must be good out of the blocks. Blocks are, are, are literally that. They're places to anchor your feet, and you're in a crouch to begin the race. And, and he has to be good knowing what foot to push off on and how to fling his weight forward and, and how not to stumble out of the blocks and lose precious seconds. He must be very good at starting the race and keeping the team within striking point. That was very important. The second man had a role. He was kind of the guy that set the pace. That is, he would, he would, he would, uh, he would study the other runners, and, and he would have watched the first, the carriers, the first man, the starters, around the track. And, and he's figuring out the strategy of the other teams and so forth. And, and, of course, his main job is try to stay close enough that there's a genuine chance at the end of the race. And then the third runner would come, and his job was to, was to increase that position, to, to not lose ground, to float the turns just right, pound down the stretches just right, to come in at the perfect moment with that baton in his hand and give it to the fourth man. Now that man was the most important. He was so important that he had his own name. It was, he was called the anchor man, the anchor runner. He made the difference between victory or defeat. Yes, you wanted your strongest runner. 
You wanted your fastest runner if possible. But more than anything else, you wanted that runner that had a had such an overwhelming power of determination that if he got the baton in fifth place, it didn't matter. He wasn't going to give up. If he got it in first place, they're just in trouble as far as he's concerned because no one's going to pass me. He was a fighter. He was one that would, that would push his way for a better position. He knew exactly how to float the turns. He knew just how to run down that back stretch with all the power that his legs had. He knew how to hold a little bit for the final stretch when he powered out of that final turn and he came and you could see, you could see the finish tape across there. He knew he was going to win that race. He mattered. The coach always looked for the most competitive, the most determined, the strongest. Not the one who would fold his tent if he wasn't given a favorable position by his teammates. No, no, uh-uh. I'm going to win. I'm the guy. It's going to happen. God must have trusted you so very much to put you on this planet. In this day. The coach would search all the runners. In fact. That position wasn't locked in. In any, in any team. If a, if a runner learned to lengthen his stride. And put more power. In his run. He might graduate to that fourth position. But. The coach was always looking. For the right runner. You know our starters. They did an incredible job. It was said of them, they who turned the world upside down have come hither also. That second runner, yeah, that was tough times for him. There was a lot of error. There was a lot of dominance by carnal people. But he kept the truth, sometimes underground. But he continued to carry the baton. Our third guy, yeah, at Topeka and Azusa. Seymour didn't even have the Holy Ghost, and he preached it with such conviction they chunked him out of a church that didn't believe in it. But he kept on preaching it until revival fell at Azusa Street. Our fathers who saw the truth in Jesus' name and one God, and though ostracized and marked as heretics and driven out, they kept on running. They kept us in the race. They kept us within striking distance. But oh, how God must have seen something special in you. Because for the final push, for the last time around the track, when he searched through eternity and said, who can I trust with the baton in the final days? He looked at you. And at you. And said there's something. In them. Maybe you don't see it. Maybe. I don't see it. Brother Cawthorne. Maybe. Maybe it's not yet. Apparent. But the fiery trial. Through which we pass. Will light. Us. God put a determination in you. God put a strength in your soul. 
And he prepared you. Let me be Mordecai to your Esther. Don't you know? You have come to the kingdom. For such a time. God. Trusteth. You. Would you stand with me? We are not accidents. It is not happenstance. The steps of a good person is ordered of the Lord. He brought you here for this trial. For this time. As Western culture collapses around us. As men and women lose the anchors to which they've held. For all their lives. For those confused. Fearful. Overwhelmed. By the uncertainty of our times. God called you. For this time. For now. He said she's who I want. With the baton in her hand. He's the one I want. Pounding down that last curve. And into the home stretch. I've had great ones in the past, and they all did their job. But I want you to make it all count. To make that long line of sacrifice and commitment to matter. See, here's the finish line. And it won't be easy. There'll be political turmoil. There'll be the falling out of favor of Christianity. You will stand alone before it's over. But I picked you. Because I knew you. Before you were ever born. I knew you. And I brought you. Just for this time. I wish so badly. We could come around the front. But we can't. But God is speaking to you right there where you are. It's counting on you. The last best hope of earth is in your hands. You hold the power. So pay attention. Keep your eye on yourself. And keep your eye on the gospel. And keep running. 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 Lift your hands right now and let's talk to God. Let's reach out for Him in each of our hearts. We need you, Jesus. God, there's some young person here going to make the difference back home. There's some young man or woman right here, right now, that's going to change a family, a church. It's going to make a difference. The world will hear their voice. We'll see their commitment. We'll recognize their passion. And they will say, I want what she has. I want to be what he is. No accidents. No chance. No happenstance. We were picked to carry it across the finish line. Keep an eye on yourself. Make sure you're in touch.
make sure the gospel burns within your soul. Let's change our days. Praise God. That's it. That's it. Take your temperature. Get where you need to be. Get what you need to have. Renew. Recommit. Reconnect. Oh God. It's not about me. I keep my eye on me that I might be used to bless others. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.